Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Monday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for being with us on a Monday. Hope your Monday's off to a good start. A lot to dive into from what happened over the weekend. We have the Colts rallying for an overtime win. We'll get to that after headlines. We have IU football coach Kurt Signetti riling up the fan base with some interesting comments. Uh, That came out of Assembly Hall. Then after that, IU and their Big Ten opener at Assembly Hall looked pretty good. Meanwhile, Purdue falls on the road to Northwestern. Seems to be their new... uh, as, as Rutgers is to IU, Northwestern seems to be for Purdue in Big Ten basketball. And that that's fine. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later this hour. Also in hour number two, time to start a conversation regarding Shane Steichen and the Colts. We'll, we'll get to that. Notre Dame has reportedly made their hire for a new wide receiver coach. Interesting move and a uh, farewell to the Big Ten West. <laughs> uh, thank God. Yeah, it's it's over. We don't have, and oh, and uh before we leave you in hour number 2, 8:50, ish somewhere around then. A Florida man seeking 1 million VHS tapes of this movie. <laughs> 1 million VHS tapes. Yes. You know, one of my jobs when I was a kid uh was dubbing videotapes. So, it was worked for a company. It was like loose. I got paid on the side type. It was uh it was it was out uh, by old International Harvester, okay, uh-huh. and it was literally hundreds of VCRs, and you would have to go and put in the the tape, and you would dub it. it usually, it was like instructional videos for like workplace stuff, and um, and that was a job. And I still have a couple scars from uh, having to then uh, shrink wrap the. Uh, the, the packages where you would actually put it in and then use it. We'd use a hairdryer or a dryer that would dry it and like seal it. Uh huh. But man, that, that brought that I for, totally forgot about that job that I did that a uh, couple of times just coming in dubbing. So I don't know if I ever dubbed a million of a video, but maybe I could help that guy out. How long did you do this for? Like I Not assume very you long. were a teen. Yeah, it was teenage. A couple of my other friends were doing it and it was kind of like when it got, Real busy there, and they were like, "Oh, we need more help." Mm-hmm. I would come in and and help out. So, uh, it, interestingly enough, it was a place that the guy had money, and in the, the expanded um, garage of the facility was, I think it was Ronald Reagan's campaign bus. He had what? Bought. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I don't know what it was for. I assume for one of his presidential runs, his his campaign bus was in there. The dude, you just bought it. It was weird. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, I mean, I guess I mean if you have the money and you want it, you can go get <laughs> I guess it. You buy Ronald Reagan, <laughs> big Reagan fan apparently. So all right, yeah, there we go. All right, we can talk sports now. Well, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was good. I worked all weekend. Well, busy weekend for me. Uh, caught some football when I could. Had it on on at work on on Saturday. Uh, got home and I was looking forward to watching. I I, I watched the Pac-12 championship game on Saturday or Friday night. I had the uh, SEC championship game on at work. I had the, uh, what was the one at noon? Big 12? Uh, Big 12, yes. Big 12 was on at work. I get home. All right, I can watch Big 10. I don't know why I got myself excited. Like I can watch the Big 10. But at least the ACC was on. Okay. Didn't want to watch either one of them. 
Like, I, they were bad football games. I watched the Big Ten game, and once I saw that it was 10 to nothing Michigan, I stopped watching because I knew the game was, was out of reach over. for Iowa. <laughs> And the people in Cedar Rapids, that was it's like a, a golf place. Yeah, that, it was uh, a, a free drinks, right? Yeah, they uh, some golf like country club, basically, or, or whatever. I don't know if it their, was kind of like a uh, restaurant or bar, or whatever you yeah. kind of call that. But they had a deal where it was free beer until Iowa scores, and it, you know it was like they had deals for that for people who are like I guess what driving range bays I think is yeah I think it was it was got me out of something like top golf or kind something, of like you know? that um obviously Iowa did not score so hopefully everyone's still okay <laughs> and, and recovering <laughs> after that promotion but yeah I watched most of the ACC game which um offensively was bad but defensively was outstanding to watch if you like defensive football it was fun if you like offense Eh, not so much. Now, the question is, after watching that game, did you feel Florida State is one of the top four teams in the country? I'll say this. Florida State's defense is definitely one of the top four defenses in the country. I mean, defensively, they are outstanding. And and we'll get into college football playoff, all that mess in a bit here in headlines. But I, I thought I thought defensively, they were outstanding their defensive line. Uh, to me, their, their defense was so good, it should have overcome the fact that, well, they're playing with a quarterback that they wouldn't even have to play here in the next month anyway. Right. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot that's wrong and we'll rant about it in a bit. But yeah, it, defensively though, they look great. Offensively, not so much. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line this morning. Again, 46862. Just put in CK for your question, comment. If you have a rant about the college football playoff, which we will certainly have rants, of the college football playoff, uh, let us know on the text line. Also, don't forget you can stream us, 1380thefan.com. That's free via the 1380thefan app, free to download, or on your smart speaker and listen in for free as well. So, uh, yeah, I let's see, Friday, I, I had a basketball game. Saturday, we ran some errands in the morning, and then it was just a relaxed day. So Nice, so you could watch I football. literally watched football from noon to basically midnight. It was great. Uh, Those are the best Saturdays. Sunday, we drove up to Michigan to my wife's mom's house. They had people over, did some Christmas decorating, whatnot. So I was trying to um, update you on the playoff picture. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I stopped for gas. Uh, let me know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they dragged it out. Not too bad. It wasn't uh, NCAA tournament bad, but um, it took a little bit to get to that fourth team. Yeah, Ugh. I'm glad I didn't watch the show because it would have made me more mad. I, I'm not going to rail against it as much as you are, I suspect. Probably not. We'll get to it. Probably Which not. is the opposite of usually how this show goes. <laughs> Headlines this morning, we start in the NFL, and the Chiefs fall again. Uh, something about NFC North teams lost to the Lions in the season opener, but the Chiefs fall in Sunday night football. They, they got the benefit of a bad personal foul. Uh, Patrick Mahomes getting hit as he was going out of bounds. They didn't get the benefit on a pass interference call uh, later, and the Chiefs fall Sunday night football. AFC is weird because the Chiefs definitely do not feel like the best team, but yet they have by far the best player. It, I'm never going to write the Chiefs off. I know you're not, but just saying it, it's a tough environment to go uh, into Lambeau and win. Matt LaFleur, now 16-0 and as a coach at Green Bay in December. Wow. Which is pretty wild. Uh, Kansas City is now um, 
behind three different teams in the AFC for that top spot, which is a storyline to watch. But Jordan Love came out slinging and played a really good game, 267 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, He threw two touchdowns to Christian Watson, threw one touchdown, the opening score of the game to Ben Sims and a guy who, like me, who bets first TDs, a dude that had his third catch uh, of the season was a little bit disappointing, but he had one catch for one yard and one touchdown. (laughs) But uh, it was just an all-around good game for Green Bay and and, and Kansas City dug themselves too much of a hole down 14-6 at halftime. And good job by the Packers. Now, all of a sudden, 6-6 six and six, and trying to creep into the NFC playoff picture are the Packers. Meanwhile, San Francisco routed Philly in Philly in the second half, 42-19. The win, it was 14-6 Niners at halftime, and they blew this game open in uh, the second half. Brock Purdy... Outstanding performance from him. Over 300 yards, four touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey had nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel, two touchdowns as well. Jalen Hurts, only one touchdown. It's Look, the Eagles were eventually going to lose one of these big games, right? So there's no concern for the Eagles, but it's more of, okay, we're still not on the Brock Purdy train. I still don't believe he can win a game if San Francisco has to rally back in a game in the playoffs. But when they start strong, they're one of, if not the best team in football. Well, Brock Purdy is aided by the fact that he's surrounded by a great offense. And not just offensive skill players. That offensive front is tremendous. Christian McCaffrey is just a freak. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, you can go on and on. It helps Brandon uh, Brock Purdy that he has those dudes and not even talking anything about the offensive line. That said, this was personal yesterday for San Francisco, and that was obvious after getting beaten last year in the playoffs in the NFC Championship game in Philly. And San Francisco came in. They were, they were dressed in black when they came in to uh, enter the stadium. I mean, this was very much a squad that wanted to prove something, and it did. If we have a rematch in the playoffs, I'm not writing off Philly just because of this game yesterday. I just think that San Francisco had something to prove yesterday based on what happened last year in the championship game, and they sure did so. Meanwhile, uh, we don't like talking about terrible teams, but what the Patriots are doing is so bad that I think it's noteworthy. You look at what they've done uh, their last three games. They scored 13 points in three games. They got shut out by the Chargers six to nothing yesterday. That's just uh, like how much like longer field goals. If if the coach wasn't Bill Belichick, he would have been fired midseason. Yeah, I would agree. I and I think because it's Bill Belichick, I think they're giving him the benefit of the doubt of finishing the season. That's my thing. But he's not back next year, right? No, no, there's, there's no, no way. way. But I, this team is completely lost. Uh, Cameron Dicker was the hero, a pair of 38-yard <laughs> field goals. Uh, J.K. Scott, the punter for San- for Los Angeles, pinned the Patriots inside their 20-yard line seven times. Now, I know it was an ugly game in terms of weather, but just a brutal game. If you were forced to watch this game yesterday, whew, tough. Um, teams couldn't run. Austin Eckler, 14, run- 14 carries, 18 yards for L.A. Um, Bailey Zapp was terrible. Uh, it's just uh, all around terrible game. This is not the. Uh, this is a game that you'd be like it should be played in Europe. It was that bad. 
any other takeaways from the NFL on Sunday? You know, admittedly, I saw very little because I was working Same. all day yesterday. And we'll get to the Colts, of course. Lions, uh, 21 first quarter points and held off the Saints. Uh, Texans get a win. So if you're looking with the Colts and say, hey, they're 7-5. Well, so is Houston after beating the Broncos. Yeah, who would have thought that Colts-Texans Week 18 game could mean something in the playoff could picture? De- could decide the division yeah. at this point if Jacksonville falters. But... I know people are going to write out some people that write off the Colts that ah it's a terrible division. I mean, no, it's not, not anymore. Um, Tennessee is still struggling, but you have three teams over five hundred in the AFC South as we wake up this morning. So I'm not saying it's up with uh, the AFC North or the a- NFC West or anything like that, but it it may be, and I. I think the AFC North has three teams over 500, but I think those are the only two divisions in football right now as we wake up this morning with three teams above 500. Yeah, yeah, that's it's hard to believe, right? In Tennessee, uh, while they're struggling record-wise on the year, you feel like they have their quarterback in the future in Will Levis. He, Af- he's he's yes. played pretty well. And from the jump, when he had four touchdown passes. But who 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 out there through Week 13 had the Indianapolis Colts sitting with a better record than the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> nobody. Not Absolutely us. nobody. All right, college football, and uh, we have some breaking news in college football. Oh, really? So today is the first day of the portal. I was going to hold off on this, but Kyle McCord, Ohio State quarterback, is entering the really? portal. Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> Why? I don't know, but... Uh, Shocking move. Uh, McCord, of course, former five-star recruit, threw for over 3,100 yards, 24 touchdowns uh, starting this season. And, and look, I get it. The fan base was not not friendly to him early in the year. He figured it out. Yes, he wasn't your typical Ohio State quarterback. But, man, this is shocking, I, I think, based on the first season he had as a starter and the fact that he's already on the move. And all of the uh, Buckeye beat writers are going to be waking up and trying to scramble. Yeah. Because uh, this is interesting. Came out just like 20 minutes ago. And uh, pretty wild. Pretty wild. So just when you three think the portal can't surprise you, uh, again, it happens. It. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you see the Dr. Pepper Fansville portal commercial over the weekend? Uh, yes. It's it's pretty great. It's pretty good. I saw it multiple <laughs> times. It was, but it was that, that is that is the uh, the portal these days. So that's the highlight, of course, in the portal. Several other players of note entering the portal uh, over the weekend. Um, you look at Dylan Downing, Purdue. He's going to be a grad transfer. Uh, best of luck to him. Uh, you have. Uh, several other guys into the portal from over the weekend. Uh, at Notre Dame looking at a receiver from FIU, Chris Mitchell. Uh, we'll talk more about that move and, and the wide receiver coach hire in hour number two. Um, just so many people, so much to, to go through. Rico Flores Jr. from Notre Dame into the, the portal, the freshman wide receiver. Holden Stays tied in into the portal. So it's it's that time of year. Even former Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine into the portal after he didn't get much playing time at Arizona State. Everybody heading into the portal. But uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted if anything happens today during the show because, again, the portal is now open, and I'm sure we'll see some moves made 
already here early on today. Now, speaking of the portal, really quick, because mm-hmm. there's still discussion about this, about Riley Leonard. Has he actually entered the portal or not? Because everybody said he was expected to go in the portal. I don't think officially. Well, officially it opens today. Okay, so we'll see if he goes in. Because read a story yesterday, and I think it was Pete Sampson with The Athletic, basically saying that he had confirmed through multiple sources that Riley Leonard was going to Notre Dame. And my thing was, I, I never saw anything official, but I guess if today's the first official day, then that makes sense. But we talked about Riley Leonard before, but we have plenty of other football to get to this morning. And and one other player into the portal. So Joey Tonona, who had medically retired from football, a Notre Dame offensive lineman. He was involved in a car crash earlier, I believe, this year. So he didn't play this fall. Well, now he has entered the portal, and he is now returning to the field. So best yeah. of luck to him. Yeah, great to see a guy that, uh, as you mentioned, had retired because of that accident, but now going to try to find another home and restart his college football playing career. All right, let's talk college football playoff. The matchups are set. The Rose Bowl, Michigan, Alabama, one versus four. And the Sugar Bowl, number two, Washington, number three, Texas. The obvious team left behind Florida State, 13-0. and They drop to number five. We knew there, there could be chaos. We knew something weird could happen, right? Especially if Alabama beat Georgia, which did happen. Yep. Florida State went out there. Third-string quarterback Jordan Travis, obviously done for the season. Uh, it was Brock Lynn who was shaky at best. but They, they ran a lot of wildcats. Yeah, they found to a way to, to get it done. Tate Rotomaker was hurt. He had suffered a concussion last week. Not cleared. So it, it completely changed Florida State's offense. They were able to get a double-digit win, though, over a top-15 Louisville team uh, in the ACC championship game. And my my thing here, my issue here is you have a Power 5, which we can only say through the end of the year, but you have a Power 5 conference winner who's undefeated, and they miss the college football playoff. I mean, just how absurd is that? Like, they went out, they scheduled, they beat LSU in that neutral site game to start the year. In fact, they looked really good in beating LSU in that game. Like, they did everything right. They, they had a marquee non-conference game. They rolled through their conference. Um... Won their conference championship game, but yet because their quarterback got hurt a couple weeks ago, they're they're basically everything they accomplished is meaningless because their quarterback's hurt. So they're not projected to do anything moving forward. I, it's absolutely ridiculous. Florida State, like I get the argument, is it the the four best or the four most deserving? Uh, Florida State was one of the four best teams all season. That injury happened, and you can project out what they can or can't do, but they were one of the four best teams all season. They're also one of the four most deserving teams all season. It's absolutely a, sh- a sham that they were left out of the college football playoff. Who would you take out, Alabama? Yes. So the team that beat the number one team on Saturday is out. Because Texas beat Alabama on the road, not in a neutral but site Texas game. Texas is in too. Yes. So my thing is, who do you take out? I, I think you have the four most, uh, more, the best four teams. All, all, th- this is the problem. With fourteen playoff is power five, you have four teams from four different leagues, and you have a power five team left out from that fifth league. That's kind of been the problem for for uh, the, the 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 playoff format. Thankfully, starting next year, it won't be a problem. I get what you're saying. My thing is, I don't know who you take out. 
Texas is deserving. In my opinion, Alabama is deserving. And of course, Michigan and Washington. Alabama, yes, they beat they beat Georgia. The problem is Alabama lost at home by double digits. To a team to that's Texas. also in. But yeah. Texas is also in, though. But but the problem is you can't like they found a way to shoehorn both in at the expense of a Florida State team who had done everything they needed to do. This is not like a central Florida getting left out, you know, who yes, they won all their games and then they ended up winning their their bowl game what in 2016, uh beating a Auburn team. But like if if Florida State wins their bowl game, which I'd be shocked if they do, right? I, I mean, based on the matchup that they have uh, with with what Georgia, yeah, um, have fun with that. Good luck. But to me, the the issue here is why even play the games if it's just all you can come down to politics. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous that Florida State's not in. I, I get it; their quarterback certainly they potentially could get blown out in the bowl game, but that's not what this is about. It's what happens on the field. It's not projecting things out. It's what's been played on the field. In Florida State, what they played on the field all year is worthy of making the college football playoff. Would you okay? So you say if you say the college football playoff is the four best teams should be the four best teams. If Alabama and Florida State play today, who are you picking? You're picking Alabama. Yeah. So Alabama's in. They should be in. They're a better football team than Florida State. But they're a better football team maybe right now, and that's the problem. Well, that's the thing. That's what we're trying to do. But that's no, you're supposed to, to. It's supposed to be the entire season of work. Like the the sad part is that if we had the BCS system, they would have gotten this right because it would have been Michigan and Washington in the Rose Bowl, and it would have been the national championship game. It makes sense. The two best teams. If Alabama is a better football team than Florida State, then they got it right. I, I it, it, it the body of work. Florida State didn't do anything wrong. It's just unfortunately Alabama. And it's always Alabama when it comes up to this, threw a wrench into things. And unfortunately, that caused chaos. And that's what we rooted for, right? We wanted chaos. And now so many people are outraged about what happened. This is what happens when you have chaos. This is what happens when you have a one-loss team beat the number one team in a conference championship game. You have chaos. This is what we rooted for. And now people are outraged about it. I'm not. Alabama deserves to be in. Florida State, unfortunately, missed out. They needed to absolutely destroy Louisville and didn't. And you could see that it was all smoke and mirrors with the, with Florida State's offense. They had to. I get it. I understand. It's just unfortunately the, the events that happened uh, with Alabama and Georgia uh, really set the tone. So that's my thing is I, I understand people's outrage of Florida State. I think it's a combination of outrage of Florida State and people's disdain for the SEC. And that's why people are saying Alabama should be out. But I don't see you beat the number one team. The only team you lost to is also in ahead of you. So power five teams, four spots in the playoff, four leagues in, one out. Unfortunately, Florida State was on the short end this year. A lot, and, of, a lot uh, of text rolling in on this. It, here's, here's my thing. that like The regular season, it's supposed to matter, right? And basically everything FSU did didn't matter because they won every game. Like they they passed every test. My thing is, over and it the, doesn't matter over the course of the season. This the 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 schedule. The season is to figure out who the top four teams in the country are. That's what this regular season is for. And at least in the eyes of the committee and me, they got the four teams right. The season is not a 
try out on how many wins and losses you have as much as what you can do to prove that you are one of the top four teams. And unfortunately, when Jordan Travis isn't in there, it's obvious that Florida State isn't the one of the top four teams. I know people are going to say, well, they're deserving based on what they did over the course of the season. I understand. But Florida State is not a national title contender without Jordan Travis. So why would we waste time by putting them in? Here's my thing, though. If you're boiling it down to one player, like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I disagree with that. Like, you could do that in basketball to some extent. I just, I don't buy it in football. And the fact, the fact of the matter is they won a, they won by double digits against a top 15 Louisville team with their third string quarterback. And their defense looked really good. Now, Louisville's offense looked terrible. Uh, That was a Louisville team that obliterated Notre Dame earlier this year, and it was kind of hard to see how that happened and then how bad they looked on Saturday night. But, like, Florida State wasn't even playing with the quarterback in the game they play with in in the college football playoff game. Like, that's what I just, I I can't get behind. Several texts I want to get to on this. What's the use of a ranking throughout the year if it means nothing in the final ranking? Their SEC bias was on full display yesterday. That's an ESPN thing. I, I can't. I want to say it's the, also the committee, but I can't say it. Um, also, again, everyone putting ESPN and SEC and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not buying into I'm not, conspiracy I'm not, I'm not buying into that. Uh, someone said, you just laugh at FSU beating Georgia in a bowl game, but then you want them in the college football playoff. That's yeah. aimed at you. Yes, because here's the thing. Results have to matter. The results matter. And someone else saying, hypothetically, Alabama loses to Auburn. Do they still make it? Well, no, of course not, because they have two losses. Here's the thing. We can't play hypothetical here. This isn't the what-if game. If Alabama lost to Auburn, they are eliminated no matter what, even if they beat Georgia, which they obviously... So Florida State should be blaming Auburn pretty much for Auburn not playing defense on the fourth and goal from the 31. (laughs) If you want to blame anybody, blame Auburn. Notre Dame fans are saying, finally... Finally, Florida State gets their comeuppance for 1993. <laughs> uh, only had to wait 30 years, Notre Dame fans, to say, ha, Florida State, see? But if Florida State beats Georgia, which with player opt-outs and everything, you never know, right? You just never know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it in, happening. I don't factor in bowl results to, oh, this, this proves they should be it. Because I go through this and say, Florida State right now, even with their backup quarterback, are they... Are they? Do you think they can beat Michigan, Washington, Alabama, or Texas? No, all four are no. So that means Texas or Florida State doesn't deserve to be in. I know what their schedule, what they did. I understand that. But my idea, or what I look at the schedule as, is you're working through the schedule to figure out what the four, who the four best teams are. I don't care if they're undefeated, one loss, whatever. You are trying to figure out who the four best teams in the country are. Florida State is not one of the four best teams. And that's why they're not in. But they are one of the. They were one of the four best teams all season. I don't care what they were. What are they now? That's the thing. You're using the course of the season to get to now. And who are the four best teams right now? And they're not. They're not. And they wouldn't be favored in any of the playing any of those four teams. We have blowoffs in the college football playoff all the time. So now we're going well. It, everybody else is is gets the, blown the out. Result, so we should put Florida State in anyway. Your argument is that projecting out, they're not the same team, but here's my argument. Like, basically, everything they did this year was a waste of time. Their entire season was a waste. They should have just forfeited the whole season because it's a complete waste of time. That's basically what you're saying. I'm not, I didn't say that. That's what you're equating it to. 
I didn't say anything about forfeiting the team. All I said was you played 13 games to prove that you're one of the top four teams in the country. And they proved that. They did not. Yes, they did. No, they did not. They don't have a starting quarterback. And there's they're, four they're, teams they, that are better they than They won. Them. Okay. They won at Florida with their backup quarterback. Florida was unranked. So? So they're not a good team. They won the game. All you can do is beat the teams on the schedule ahead of you. you That's all they've done. All you can do is through 13 games try to prove you're one of the four best teams in the country. And when it mattered, the last last week of the season, they weren't. And you can blame, well, you can blame They won the game by double digits. So you're telling me because they didn't win 59 to nothing like Ohio State did with Cardale Jones, you know, back in the day. Like, that it's just, they're not worth it. Here's the problem for, for, let's say, and here's the hypothetical. Let's say Alabama didn't win. Let's say Georgia won. Yeah. They're still not in. Texas would Texas be the four? So you everybody has a problem with Alabama. Hypothetically, Georgia wins and Texas is still in. Or did they boost Texas because of the Alabama win? So you can blame Alabama, not saying you in particular, people can yeah. blame Alabama, but hypothetically, if Georgia is in instead of Alabama, Florida State, in this respect, is still out. Unless the committee looked at the Alabama win over Georgia and then said, well, Texas beat Alabama, we have to have Texas in, so you bump two teams in, is Florida State was still going to get screwed. Text coming in at 46862. CK, the reality of this debate is both of you are correct. Yeah, let's just go back to the BCS, and we can argue about two teams instead of four. I joked to you. I said, you know, you know how you do this. I mean, you just have computers figure it out. But no, that wasn't good enough. I I do agree to the fact that, unfortunately, an entire season comes down to, what, 13 people? I mean, everybody had problems with the computers? Yeah. I trust a computer better more than I do a human <laughs> yeah. being. Well, uh, here, here's my the, thing <laughs> with the committee. The issue I have with having a committee decide everything, unless they're not looking at resumes like blind without the name on top, and then True. deciding that way, it's a joke. Like, the process is a sham. Because the only way to do this in a fair way and have a committee decide is, okay, we'll take all the results of these teams. This is team A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, and just look at what they've done. And then you argue and you you cut it down because my understanding of the process is they start, they cut it down to like six teams and they take three of the teams and argue and then set two aside. Um, If you're not doing a blind resume resume test in this, like it's, it, it is not a good setup. Plain and simple. Like if you put their name at the top, like you're already you already have preconceived judgments based on the team and the conference and everything. So I just I think the process is bad. And I'd rather we be arguing about twelve, thirteen, and fourteen than you know, three, four, five. Yeah, we could argue which of uh of uh Ole Miss and Oklahoma, which of the two lost teams are getting in next year, but uh, this is the thing. This is what we rooted for. Every college football fan wanted to see chaos. We get chaos and everybody's upset. I mean, this is what we were going to get. This is what you rooted for. This is what you wanted to see. And this is the last year of the four-team playoff. And by gosh, we had chaos the final weekend. This is what we all wanted. And now everybody's upset about what happened. I, I understand, but I just look at it and say, and I keep coming back to this, like, Okay, so if if Georgia beats Alabama, and I don't know if this question was ever asked with the committee, is Florida State out anyway? Was Texas always going to be that team? And that comes back to Texas destroying 
Oklahoma State? Did Florida State need to destroy Louisville to make that case? And I don't know if those questions have been asked by the committee, but it's interesting because so many people want to blame Alabama. But I don't know. I mean, was the committee fit have Florida State fifth regardless of which SEC team was in? Yeah. Either way, congrats to Michigan. First number one AP ranking since 1997. Did you see the video of Michigan finding out as a team finding out they were playing Alabama? Uh-uh. There was no excitement in that room whatsoever. <laughs> there was like like two people that stood up and then a couple other people were like light clapping. That was it. They probably thought they were going to play Florida State. Probably. But um, yeah, Michigan, Michigan, it was hilarious. There was no excitement in that room whatsoever. Congratulations, Michigan. You get to play Alabama. And uh, just for the record, uh, Notre Dame playing in the Sun Bowl against Oregon State, a team they're 0-2 against in bowl games. Which so, took forever yes. yesterday. The ACC was a cluster yesterday. All because of Florida State getting left behind. Let's not get ourselves. Well, for for what, and maybe that, that was a definite factor probably, um, but it was just like, um, to, to a point, ACC trying to make sure some of their top teams were getting some of the top billing outside of Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame's affiliated with the ACC in bowls, but it's not like the ACC is is going to go to bat for them. So, you know, when you go nine and three, you get stuck at places like El Paso, Texas for the Sun Bowl. Hey, it's a great backdrop, though, with the mountains. It's very true, but um, I'm not excited about it to watch. Yeah, it's, but I it's do not exciting. Plenty of people had already bought and t- tickets. Yeah, the Notre Dame game. portion basically sold out already. Yeah, I sent it to you. Like, if you look at the bowl and the available tickets, like one side is completely blue for available tickets. The other one is all grayed out because Notre Dame fans have, have loaded up. But uh, keep those texts coming, 46862. I knew we'd have a spirited discussion this morning. I love it. It's uh, it's good. There's the, And it, as one texter said, I think we're both right. I mean, yeah. there's both great cases to be made. I get it. This is why we're going to a 12-team playoff starting next season. And it all could have happened earlier except for the stupid alliance, which was an yeah. absolute... Talk about shams. It, which was including the ACC, wasn't it? Yes. Which they almost have themselves to blame because yeah. it was the ACC, what, Big Ten and, and somebody and else. And Pac-12, which... Now that worked er, out well for yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> but you almost have yourself to blame with this stupid alliance or else Florida State, you would have been in. Uh, one other quick note. We got to take a time out. I knew this would take up some time, but not that much. Uh, comments uh, fell to uh, the, fell. They 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 did not have a good weekend. Uh, did they, they three and three? Did they lose all three? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. It was it was not a good weekend for the K's. A they were at shootout Indy loss yesterday. Uh, yesterday uh, they lost to the Cyclones Saturday, um, and then lost on on Friday as well. Three losses in three nights, not ideal. No. And this is how how much a, a, a uh, struggle of a weekend can have. All of a sudden, the Ks are seven points behind Toledo, and now they're in sixth. They entered the weekend, I think, in third or fourth. Now they're in sixth. Only Kalamazoo behind them in the standings in the Central now. Yeah. No, it's it, it, not a good weekend, and... It is what it is, though, and, and hopefully the case can get back on track. 46862, our text line number again, 46862. We got to take a timeout. Uh, Colts get a wild win in overtime against the Titans yesterday. Uh, where do things stand for the Colts in the playoffs? Who, who would have guessed this? Plus, uh, the key offseason hire for Indianapolis that's definitely showed itself quite well yesterday. 
That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Oh, just just a wild debate. You know, we can move forward. We'll talk Colts. It was a wild game for the Colts. Um, <laughs> a couple of guys, a couple of texts I want to get to, then we'll, we'll officially move on. I mean, college football playoff talk. But uh, CK, you guys need to settle down before the program manager comes down to send both of you to the corner. Uh, yeah, no, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, because, because the progr- program director is hosting this show. Yeah. I'm not sending us to the corner unless it's deserved. Um, yeah, now the head boss who listens. Yeah, that's a different he'll story. he'll come down and tap on the glass and say, uh, cut it out. But uh, now the spirited discussion is welcomed here. Uh, someone else, that was the best first segment in Caleb and Kenny history. Um, Doesn't take much. Yeah, apparently it's a low bar. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk Colts. Uh, wild overtime win for the Colts in this one that featured two block punts, a two-point interception return, a punter injured, a missed extra point. Oh, and Colts kicker Matt Gay getting stung by a bee on the sideline. That all happened in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> this game was absurd. Um, oh, and I didn't even mention a play. So we were driving back from Michigan, uh, my wife and I, yesterday after visiting some of her family. And I was watching on the iPad on the way home yesterday evening. And... When I rewatch, like I'll watch games, you know, on DVR, and I I skip through the huddle stuff and just roll through it in you know forty forty five minutes. But uh, I stopped, got my headphones out because this play was so bizarre. Where it was initially on the field, it looked like a Will Levis interception, and then it was fumbled back by the Colts to Will Levis, who picked it up, sat on the ground for a moment, and then took off running and <laughs> ran into the end zone. Now they they changed the rule to a fumble, and then. Uh, from an interception, and it was Titans ball from from that spot. But it was the the wildest play that didn't matter. But all that to say, there are so many positives to take away from the Colts in this one. Alec Pierce's first 100-plus yard receiving game, he was great. Michael Pittman Jr. also had a big game. The Colts swept the Titans for the first time since 2018. Levis was sacked six times. Uh, Colts definitely benefited from Derrick Henry going down, leaving early for uh, concussion evaluation, but this Colts team is in the playoff hunt. Are, are they for real? Oh, and let's not forget the, the offseason hiring of Brian Mason from Notre Dame as the special teams coordinator absolutely paid off in this one. Well, I think that the Colts are for real in the sense of being able to get into the playoffs potentially in the AFC. Are they good enough to challenge the top teams in the AFC? No. But for what the the expectations for some for this team heading into the season. I mean, how many texts did we have preseason? The Colts are going to win two games, three, three games, games, four games. Yeah. I mean, they've won seven games. They're seven and five right now. Exceeded even the loftiest of expectations for Colts fans. For them to be able to avoid a complete collapse over the final five games of the season and get into the playoffs, even if your, your, uh, your reward is having to go to Kansas City, and play the Chiefs to start the seat, start the postseason. Then this is it, it's a definite step forward for this team, even without Anthony Richardson, because you're seeing the defense. And don't forget that you're still missing Grover Stewart. He'll be back next next week, uh, which will help that run defense because Derrick Henry ran all over them in the first half. Yep. But it was advantage that Henry Henry left the game. But the pass rush has been better. We keep saying. Well, they need to add another guy on the edge. I mean, Samson Ebukam was good. Um, and DeForest Buckner was good. 
Uh, Quiddy Pay was was huge. Uh, had a couple strip sacks. I don't think either one of them was recovered by the Colts, but it was still a, a big play. Um, special teams, of course, was huge. This is just a, a right now as complete of a football team as we've seen in several years in Indianapolis, and they're all doing it, and they're doing it all with a quarterback that they didn't expect to be in this position. And does it prove? I guess does it prove us right, Caleb? When we said the best approach this year was to play Gardner Minshew. Now we said it because we thought it was the best advantage for Anthony Richardson to learn. But has it? worked out for the Indianapolis Colts in that they were forced to play Gardner Minshew and now look at them seven and five. Yeah, that it's interesting because I mean, ideally right around this time is when, you know, before the season where we thought, okay, Anthony Richardson takes over somewhere around this range of, of time within the season. Obviously the Colts went with him from the jump and, and he, he showed from the jump that he was worthy of being the starter. Right, I, I don't think there's any doubt there, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. And Gardner Minshew, despite his limitations, I mean, I was watching the first half of this game. And I was like watching Will Levis and the Titans taking downfield shots constantly. It's like wow, just imagine if the Colts had a downfield passing game. Now they did finally hit some big plays with Alec Pierce, help win them the game. That that is an interesting question because I I don't know the answer. I really don't. It's worked out, regardless of of uh, how it became about. It has worked out. The expectation is still Anthony Richardson comes back, but he's able to watch and learn from a veteran quarterback in Gardner Minshew that has strung together consistent games here now for for several weeks, not making the mistakes that plagued him earlier in the season in terms of reads and maybe turnovers as well. And the defense continues to play very good special teams, opportunistic. I mean, it's just a team that's, Having a lot of fun, and I and I, I I know you teased it at the beginning of the show. We'll get to it. and Shane Steichen right now. He's your NFL Coach of the Year, right? Yeah. Someone texting in. Can we start talking about Steichen being Coach of the Year, especially with the easy schedule to finish the year? Absolutely. Uh, we'll talk about this in hour number two. But to me, you, he has done an outstanding job, and I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on this topic since we'll, we'll save it for next hour. But yes, I I fully agree. Someone saying Ballard and Ursay building a solid team. I'm not going to go that far because there, <laughs> but, there is an aspect of that that does tie into the coach of the year talk that I want to get into. True, but you do, I think, have to give some credit to Chris Ballard because he's been much maligned on this show yes. included. But I do think you can't completely write off the GM on what the Colts have done. I know some people that don't want to give Chris Ballard any credit for sure will say Shane Steichen, Shane Steichen, Shane Steichen. He is the... Um, primary guy that I point to as having a difference, but you can't overlook Chris Ballard. And maybe it took the right coach, the right staff to really be able to develop that the guys that Chris Ballard was bringing in. And maybe that's all it took. Who knows? But I think if you're a Colts fan, based on your preseason expectations to now, you have to be over the moon right now, sitting at seven and five. Uh, this text is too funny to not read. CK, the real question is, do the Colts belong in the college football playoff with their quarterback injury? (laughs) (laughs) Would they be favored over Florida State or Alabama (laughs) or Texas at this point? Um, I was was really impressed all around yesterday. Despite The the offense finished 3 of 14. They had as many, I think, um, almost fourth downs, I want to say. Five of their failed third down conversions came inside the 10. 
a couple field goals that Minshew fumble as well. That was uh, crucial. Yeah, red, red zone play was not great. No, not at all. And that was where the Colts were looking to to really tie it there at the end of the first half. And it was just Gardner Minshew holding the ball too long. I mean, the pocket was collapsing. You had to realize that he wasn't going to stay upright much longer. But Colts found a way. I mean, you felt like once they gave up the lead, that was going to be it. Uh, well, you first off thought at 17-3 it was it. But Colts battle back, then they give up the lead and battle back again to tie it, fall behind in overtime, and then drive down the field and score. As impressive as a win as we've seen all season from the Indianapolis Colts. I'm not saying they're a contender in the AFC. They're a contender to make the playoffs. And for where people had this team before the season started, that would be a tremendous accomplishment. Absolutely. Someone's saying the battle for QB1 is going to be great next season for the Colts. Uh, There's no battle. It's Anthony Richardson's job to lose. Uh, I think that's the part people have to understand. I mean, unless unless Indianapolis goes on some crazy postseason run with Gardner Minshew just slinging it all over the field, that's the only scenario I could see where you give an inkling to Minshew as QB1 for 2024. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, coming up on the other side, wow, we've we've gotten so off track. Um, <laughs> That's what we do here. Yeah, it's that kind of a Monday, though. There's just a lot to get into. Uh, but IU coach Kurt Signetti riling up the fan base and riling up other fan bases fans. We'll explain what happened if you missed it uh, Friday night. Next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here, hour number one, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. So if you missed it over the weekend, so much happening in sports. IU coach Kurt Signetti got off to uh, an interesting start in his tenure in Indiana. Uh, He was at the IU Maryland men's basketball game Friday night. And here's what he had to say playing to the crowd as he introduced himself. You know who he reminds me of? Who? This guy. And Arizona, and North Dakota, and New Mexico, and we go to California, and Texas, and New York, and we go to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, (laughs) and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Howard Deed, um, for our 35 and over audience. Yes. That is. Hopefully it works you, you out. You get it. For the younger audience, look it up. It it ruined a presidential campaign, and it was the. Ah! <laughs> it was like the best part. Uh, we're going to go to Arizona. We're going to go to Minnesota. <laughs> we're going to go to Michigan. Ah! That's um, what we're waiting for. Uh, Kurt, it sounded like you. Know, we're going to. Purdue sucks at Michigan State and Ohio State and Minnesota and Iowa and Rutgers. I just thought that's what he was going to go on. So hopefully it turns out better for Kurt Signetti than it did Howard. Dean. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. They're, I mean, they're building the staff. Uh, former Notre Dame offensive lineman going to be part of that staff who was with him at, at James Madison. Um, they're building some buzz, and I will say this. Uh, Ron Colley grad Pat Koontz uh, from James Madison. He's a former Notre Dame player, uh, but he'll join the staff. Uh, he went viral in a video moment. I don't know if you, you remember where he was kind of chirping at some opposing team's fans. Um, you have him already offering. Again, this is next level, but already offering 
the number one quarterback in the class of 2026. And there's a tie-in. Um, this is a guy from Carrollton, Georgia, Julian Lewis. He's verbally committed to USC. But IU has, dare I say, they have a chance in this one because uh, Lewis said, Coach Tino, who's the new quarterbacks coach for IU, Tino Sinceri. Coach Tino's my guy. I've known him since I was eight years old. He's honestly the first college coach to notice me. Now you gave him an offer. I'm not saying they're going to get a guy who's committed to USC, but it is 2026. It's a long ways out. Shooting for the stars, and that's all you can do. It's all you can do. Winning football games would help a long way to trying to lure guys like that. But a player that they probably have a better chance of landing, Jordan McLeod, who is the James Madison starting quarterback who has mm-hmm. entered the transfer portal. You would think that the front runner for McLeod services would be Indiana, especially considering the attrition that Indiana has had in the with quarterbacks in the portal. Yeah, Brennan Soresby put his name in the portal. Dexter Williams put his name in the portal. I've heard nothing from Taven Jackson. Uh, other staff notes for Signetti. Uh, again, confirmed he's bringing Mike Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. Brian Haynes, defensive coordinator. Tino Sinceri, strength coach Derek Owings. And then also we mentioned Pat Kuntz. And then uh, another note, staff-wise, Bob Bostad uh, will return, though, as the offensive line coach. And, and I saw a lot of improvement in offensive line play this season. So we'll see building a, uh, a staff at uh, looking at McCord through for 31, 3,400 yards, 32 touchdowns, nine interceptions, ran for 311 yards, eight touchdowns. Could he be a guy that follows Signetti to Bloomington? We'll find out. We'll find out. But either way, a hilarious clip playing to the crowd. I, I have no problem with him doing stuff like that. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, you it's, know. It's that. It's uh, Brian Kelly trying to have a Cajun yeah, accent. Family. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, I it get it. it. I don't necessarily know if I'm calling out Ohio State and Michigan. No, certainly not. I mean, both of those opposite of suck. I mean, you can say it, but it's, you know, I get it. But though it's pandering to the crowd. He was feeling the moment for sure. And it helped that IU played a pretty good basketball game on Friday. That they did. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. It's time to start the conversation. Shane Steichen as coach of the year. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, you can also stream us, 1380thefan.com on the 1380thefan app or your smart speaker as well, all for free to listen for you as well. Coming up this hour on the show, time to start the Shane Steichen Coach of the Year conversation, plus Notre Dame hiring uh, Wisconsin wide receiver coach uh, as their next wide receiver coach. Interesting move. Uh, farewell to the Big Ten West, and also we got to talk a little basketball. Uh, Boilers, Baltimore Northwestern again. IU rolls past the Terps. We'll get to that later this hour. And a Florida man seeking a million VHS tapes of this movie. It's a classic. Basically, se- seemingly everyone had a copy of this on VHS. Okay. I at one point had a copy of this on VHS that I somehow obtained. All right. We'll have to figure so, out what it is. Yeah, we'll get to that. At the end of the show, but uh, we we talked about this a little bit uh, late last hour, but the Colts coming away with that overtime win at Tennessee and 
You know, I, I think there maybe been some rumblings about this kind of on the on the back channel, but now it's very clear with with the win that the Colts had, the fact that they're legitimately in playoff contention in the AFC. It truly is time to start the Shane Steichen as the coach of the year conversation based on what he's he's done. First time head coach lost his rookie quarterback, who's expected to be the starter, and it's a team in the playoff hunt. Colts have won four straight. They played without Jonathan Taylor in five games. Uh, we got some more info on on that and details. It was a UCL tear in his thumb. Um, and the timeline is three to five weeks. As always, be careful when it comes to Colts players and injuries and believing the timeline, right? Uh, that <laughs> It never seems to go well with timelines. We saw it with Peyton Manning. We've seen it with so many people since. But it's been an impressive run for the Colts. And... I get that the Colts were never as bad as their record said they were last year, right? I mean, it was not a roster that was that depleted of talent. Yes, they had injuries, but they had poor quarterback play last year, and they had poor coaching across multiple coaches. So they were they were never like as as bad as their record showed that they were. But still, the fact that this is a team that is contending for the playoffs is impressive. And Shane Steichen deserves some love because of what he's done. Yeah, it's um you look at uh at New York Times does their uh playoff predictor and it's an algorithm, we won't get into it, but the, but the Colts entered the season with a 9% chance to make the playoffs. 9. The only teams worse than that in the AFC to start the season were the Raiders the, and the Broncos and the Patriots. And since that time, going from 9% now to a 67% chance as we wake up this morning to make the playoffs, it is the biggest jump of any team in the AFC from the start of the season to now. And it's been exceptionally impressive. Maybe only the Texans can rival them in terms of exceeding expectations. And even then, the Texas expectations were higher than the Colts based on this predictor and what Shane Steichen has been able to do by and large with the same roster from last year. There's been some ancillary things. Obviously Gardner Minshew is a huge part of that for sure. But for all the criticism of Chris Ballard for good reason on what players he's been bringing in and not bringing in was Shane Steichen able to take that group, largely that group, and turn it into what we've seen now, which makes Chris Ballard look very much uh, a little uh, more competent than what he has. You have to pay, point to Shane Steichen, and you never really know when you hire a bright coordinator that's done a lot of good things elsewhere that is he going to translate into being the head coach and being able to run a, a franchise on the field. So far, the answer is a resounding yes for Shane Steichen. Yeah, I I think he's done a great job. And I think the biggest thing is I've never felt like there has been a moment this season where he looked out of his depth, where he made like a first-time head coach mistake. Now You get to college football, and we saw a lot of that with Marcus Freeman last year. We've even seen it this year, right, growing on the job. But we just simply have not seen that with Shane Sykin this season. I, I can't think of one where he just completely botched. Now, he's very aggressive, which plays to the nature of the NFL these days. It wouldn't have five, ten years ago, right? 
but he's very aggressive in, in going after it, getting after it. And I think that's a strength. I don't think that's a weakness, but I don't think you're seeing a lot of bad decisions out there. Which is is one of the reasons why they brought him in. Felt like he was a seasoned guy ready for a head coaching job. Wasn't going to be much in the way of learning curve. But when you look at the potential candidates to challenge Shane Steich, and let's say this continues for the Colts, I mean, you have to throw D'Amico Ryans in there. Uh, the aforementioned Texans because of what they've done Absolutely. this season. I think you have to throw Dan Campbell in there. And I know the expectations were much higher for Detroit than they were for Indianapolis. But the fact that they are delivering on that hype in Detroit is something astounding. It's one thing to get the hype in Detroit, which rarely happens. It's even more rare to deliver on that hype in Detroit. And they've done so thus far with the 9-3 and record. So that's kind of a short list of other contenders. But if Shane Steichen can continue to lead the Colts into potentially a playoff berth, he has to be up there in terms of contenders. Absolutely. And I think what he's done with a backup quarterback who has got his own limitations, that's why he's not been a regular starter in the league, is is impressive. And I think that's the part that sets him apart from, say, like a Dan Campbell, as you mentioned. They've been able to meet expectations for the Lions. Um, you know, beating the Chiefs at the start of the year, contending for the division, like there are expectations on the Lions, and the Lions have, have lived up to that to this point. Um, D'Amico Ryans, I think, has him beat at the moment, and understandably so, just because of how bad that roster is, and the fact that C.J. Stroud has come in and and transformed that team, that franchise, already as a rookie. And again, he was he was the most ready rookie quarterback, right? Everyone Correct. knew this. This this is not a surprise. But he still is an Ohio State quarterback, which is kind of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise. But uh, I, I think. The the Steichen has to be in the conversation. I'm not saying he's going to win the award, but he's got himself on the short list, and I think that's impressive because you never know, right? It, coordinators get hired as head coaches and flame out and go back to being coordinators and then get rehired. I mean, it's 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 a whole cycle with coaches in the NFL like that. But so far, he's shown himself to be more than uh, adept at this thing and to be a guy who you feel like the Colts can build with for for the future, which is something that. Uh, do you do you feel as comfortable as a Colts fan? Do you feel as comfortable now as you have since Tony Dungy as a head coach? Chuck Pagano had his moments, right? Frank Reich had his moments, but to me, I feel that Shane Steichen is is the, is the most confident I've been in a Colts coach since Tony Dungy. And I know it's still his first season. Anything can happen. But just the way he's been able to come in and and really make it. And let's let's be honest, okay? It's a roster with talent, but it's not laden with talent. You look at offensive skill positions, and the only player that you really look at and say, yeah, I'd like him on my team is Jonathan Taylor in terms of skill position. Guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have a great defensive line, but yes. Yeah, I'm talking like off- offensively. Yeah. yeah. Defense, a little bit different story. There's players there, obviously. But offensively, it's still not a team where you look at and say it's a who's who. It's not Miami. It's not KC. It's not Philly uh, in terms of <laughs> Definitely not San, San Francisco. Francisco. <laughs> right? So 
it's not that yet. Here they are, the Colts uh, seven and five, and, and the, the quickly quick thing to shoot to down is like, well, the AFC South isn't that good. Well, it's the only other, other outside of the AFC North. It's the only division with three teams over five hundred right now. Jacksonville is good. Houston has turned into a really solid team, and then you have the Colts. So I don't think it's an easy sell to say, well, it's a bad division because it's not a bad division anymore, at least in terms of win loss record, which way you look at it. So. Absolutely, the credit to Shane Steichen, and you have to feel like if this is if this is the foundation, man, where can he take this team in the coming years as they add pieces? Yeah, well, adding pieces, you got to add more pieces, and and we saw Alec Pierce finally put together a, a career game uh, yesterday, and it helped that the Colts actually took some downfield shots and he got some separation. I think that was a start, and if that can be something that he could do several times a season and not, you know, just once a season. I think you have to feel pretty good. You obviously got to figure out what you want to do with Michael Pittman Jr. in the offseason. You you sign him, you let him walk. I I think the Colts will keep him. I'd be very surprised if they let him go. But you still feel like they need another receiver on the roster. Josh Allen has been good. He's a rookie. but You still need one other guy. And the, the problem is the Colts' best receiver is a B or C guy in any other team, right? And in tight end, you got you have a bunch of guys, but you don't have one. That's what it feels like. It's a definitely a thing where you look at it and say, you need a game breaking wide receiver. I think you need they need uh, speed to shore up. Yeah, you need to shore up the offensive line. It can always it, lines can always be better, but particularly this line. So there, there's a lot to add, but man, when you look at the roster now, and there's guys that have come along and all that stuff, but by and large, you're looking at at, at a talent gap with the top teams. But if Shane Steichen, this is this is where you can get with the guy that you brought in to be your backup quarterback and be a mentor, and an imperfect offense and a defense that has been opportunistic and good, but doesn't really have an All Pro player. I think is 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 very impressive. And if this team can get to double digit wins, I really think Shane Steichen is your 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 coach of the year because of where the expectations were at the beginning of the season, which were effectively zero. And yeah. what he's done now is, yeah, is we, absolutely tremendous. We went into this year, you know, five, six wins, maybe seven. Well, they're already at seven. And again, the schedule sets itself up well nicely. A game that was you wrote off on the schedule. Uh, at Cincinnati, well, no Joe Burrow, that, that completely opens opens it up, and that's who the Colts play next week. Uh, you have Pittsburgh at home. It's a fine Pittsburgh team, but they're not good. Uh, at Atlanta, same thing. Raiders, awful. Texans, that could decide a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, could. it's just it's crazy what has transpired the last few weeks for the Colts on this four-game win streak and, and how the season's completely turned around. Well, and I think, too, yesterday was a perfect example of the Colts of the last couple of years, or even earlier this season, that was a game that the Colts lose yesterday. Momentum, yeah. right? You're going on the road against a team you should beat in your division, but anything can happen. You fall down 17-3, and Colts fans are like, here we go. Uh, we have momentum, and then we're going on the road against a beatable opponent. We're laying an egg. Derrick Henry's running all over you. Then you climb back into the game. You fall back behind again. You tie the game. Then you send it into overtime. You fall behind again. And then you win on a game-winning drive. It was the resolve and the resiliency of Indianapolis that was the most impressive to me yesterday because usually this is a team that when you expect them to lose, they win. And when you expect them to win, they lose. And they're starting to buck that trend by consistently stringing together wins against opponents, whether they're good or bad. 
And I think that's a step taken by the Indianapolis Colts here so far in the second half of the season is being able to have that even keel and not get too high up, too far down, and being able to string together victories. 46862, your text line number again, 46862, if you have thoughts on the Colts. Meanwhile, coming up on the other side, Notre Dame reportedly making their hire for a wide receiver coach. Interesting move. We'll see how this plays out for the Irish as they have a lot of work to do to fix the wide receiver position group. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Uh, a text that puts a good bow on the conversation on, on Shane Steichen and the Colts as far as Steichen and he should be in the conversation for NFL Coach of the Year. Uh, CK, even the NFL thought they would stink. They gave them no primetime games. Absolutely true. I mean, the, the Colts, every game except the London game and the Carolina game for absolutely no reason has been a one o'clock kickoff. Yeah, it's a, a pedestrian schedule in that respect that there was no marquee games for the Colts because they weren't looked upon as a marquee team. Maybe that uh, that's changing currently. Could we see a flex yeah, of some right? sort? For the I mean, Colts? week 18 Colts Texans, if it's to get a playoff spot, yeah, I would think that'd be flexed Sunday in. night. Potentially, <laughs> who knows? Or at least a four twenty-five game. Yeah, we'll we'll. I think we're more than likely to see a, a schedule change before the end of the year. Yeah, I, I at would least so. one. If this, if they keep winning, yes. Notre Dame after firing wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey, I saw a couple players go into the portal, and now reports coming out that they have found their next wide receiver coach. Uh, from Wisconsin, it is Mike Brown, the Wisconsin wide receivers coach. He's a former NFL wide receiver, thought of very highly uh, in, in coaching circles. I don't know anything about position coaches at other schools, to be honest. But. No, me neither. It sounds like there's buzz mm-hmm. around uh, Mike Brown, former NFL player. Now, he was with Marcus Freeman in Cincinnati when so there's Freeman the, was there's the, the, tie-in. the D coordinator. So um, you need a guy that's going to come in and stabilize the position and find talent because you're, you're seeing talent exit the door. That's one thing that Chancey Stuckey was able to do is recruit talent. But now there's a bit of a void there. The lot, still a lot of it in experience and the expectations has to be that Mike Brown is going to really come in and really stabilize the position right now. Here's the thing. Why didn't Freeman just hire Brown to begin with? I don't know. Uh, maybe he wasn't interested at the time. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But um, I, I, I guess that, like that's my thing. If yeah, I mean it's still the great unknown on what the heck happened between Chancey Stuckey and Marcus Freeman. Between when Marcus Freeman said he hopes everybody comes back to when Chancey Stuckey was dismissed, is did something happen between then and uh, between the two events? Was Marcus Freeman just? Lying to the media, which I don't really have a problem with. I mean, coaches lie all the time, whatever. Uh, but it felt like Chancey Stuckey was trending in the right direction with that group that was very, very young. But now it's going to be Mike Brown's responsibility to come in and be uh, be a dude that's going to be able to refocus that group and and bring in talent. But but I've, I've mentioned this to you last week, as I really see a fundamental problem with Notre Dame going forward in the sense of the transfer portal. Because more and more and more players are going into the portal. And Notre Dame 
we have not yet seen them bring in a player that's not a grad transfer. Mm -hmm. And Pete Sampson of the Athletics said over the weekend that he expects Notre Dame to bring in up to seven grad transfers or transfers. But you're leaving a void in the middle of your roster, which is what we saw this year with Notre Dame is you just had nobody that was experienced. Not no juniors, sophomores, seniors with multiple years of eligibility left. All you had were grad transfers. Notre Dame is going to find itself in a talent void. It didn't figure out the ability to bring in undergrad athletes. It can't just be grad school dudes. And I think you're going to, that's going to be create more and more of a roster void because you can only recruit true freshmen and grad seniors with one year left. And in the middle is where you lose the majority of your guys, you know, and you're not replenishing them. The numbers don't add up after a while, right? Correct. And you can have a big freshman class, a big senior class. And in the middle, you have some void in there. If you can't bring in undergraduate transfers. So Notre Dame with the wide receiver group. So in the portal, Chris Tyree, graduate transfer. Okay, that one makes sense, right? Uh, sophomore Tobias Merriweather, guy that just never seemed to pan out. Freshman Rico Flores Jr., a guy who was the leading receiver. That one is shocking. And then Braylon James, a guy who didn't play. It was kind of more of a development guy. Um, eventually, that could be something, but wasn't getting playing time. Um, and then they have... Florida international grad transfer Chris Mitchell, who had 64 catches over 1,100 yards, six touchdowns this past season, uh, reportedly visited Notre Dame over the weekend. So he is a target. Obviously, they're going to target other guys in the portal. They have a a really good ride receiver recruiting class coming in, highlighted by Kim Williams, the the top recruit in the class. So, like, they're, they're making some headway. The problem is you just can't keep having this kind of turnover, like you said, and make it work. Uh, you got to be able to go after guys who are underclassmen. And I don't know how likely that is. I think it's very much a question that needs to be asked within Notre Dame and, and South Bend is when are those opportunities going to present themselves? Because the the portal is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger impact each offseason. And Notre Dame is hamstrung compared to most or all other programs. Is It has to play by different rules. And those rules are going to hurt Notre Dame long-term if they can't go out and see, like, let's say Kyle McCord, for example. But Notre Dame was looking at a guy like, hey, Kyle McCord, perfect for multiple seasons. Bring him in. Maybe he sits behind a grad transfer next year, but you bring him in and you mold him, blah, blah, blah. You can't bring in Kyle McCord right now based on the rules of Notre Dame and the admissions office. You have to figure that out. Or it's just going to leave more and more of a void, as you said, in the middle of that roster, the depth chart. Yeah, yeah, it's you got to adjust, and Notre Dame has yet to fully adjust to this new era of college football. Now, they had so much success leading into the NIL era, and so that that's helped them. And the fact that Marcus Freeman has come in and essentially kept the program near the same level, obviously not at the same level because they haven't won double-digit games in either of his first two seasons, but near the same level. So I I think this is a situation where it's always adapt or die, right? And <laughs> Notre Dame has and to adapt. They have to adapt. And they have the NIL to bring in some really good underclassmen through the transfer portal. But they just can't do it with the admissions office the way it is. I understand. It's it's difficult to get a note. I understand. But you have to figure out a way 
to transfer those credits over because that's the big thing is is transferring credits over to Notre Dame and where they slotted. You have to make it easier or Marcus Freeman or whoever the coach is for Notre Dame in the future is going to have a big, big problem because everybody else is loading up on undergrads and Notre Dame is it. And Notre Dame is losing a fair. If Notre Dame was retaining nearly everybody, then that's a different story, but they're not. They have just as many transfers out of the, out of the program as most other programs, but they can't play by the same rules as everybody else in terms of bringing in undergrads. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Meanwhile, a, a, a farewell to the Big Ten West. <laughs> the Big Ten West, 0 of 10 in Big Ten title games. Uh, the legends and leaders perhaps ahead of its time. Everyone mocked it, right? Because it was stupid. You thought that was the low point yeah. of the division no, format. No, the low no. point was them actually going with geographical divisions. Uh, the Big Ten West lost by an average of 20.7 points per game in those 10. And obviously the last couple were, were worse than that. You had Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern all had two plus appearances in the title game. Purdue with the only team with one, with only one appearance. And in the future, uh, we could have Ohio State and Michigan playing back uh, again. Like, would, would does that entice you? Yeah, hey, if, if that's it's the, the two best teams, I'd much rather watch that than Michigan Iowa. Uh, Si put it. Uh, very, very nicely. Talking about the, the, the Big Ten West. If the Big Ten East hosted an elegant ball, the West would pull up in a doorless Jeep Wrangler blasting Cotton Eye Joe over the speakers. It never tried to impress anyone. It just hung around for a good time. <laughs> Pretty much what the West was. Um, the, let's see, the, fir- the, the, the Big Ten West standings, of course, Iowa won it was 6-2, and two, or 7-2, and two, I think. Um, but, man, it was... Uh, and I made this point on, on Saturday night. I mean, the, the, the Big Ten championship game had become a game that should have been on the CW in terms of, of just how. <laughs> how uh, again, it once it was 10 nothing Michigan over Iowa, I stopped watching because I knew the game was over. But there's been, it's been several years since the Big Ten had a decent Big Ten championship game, right? Um, was it Wisconsin in one several years ago? Was it Wisconsin-Ohio State? That was a good one. Um, I'm trying to look. Let's see. Uh, well, Wisconsin, Ohio State, 2019 was 34, 21. I guess. Uh, yes, Ohio State, 2017, 27, 21 game. Year before was Penn State over Wisconsin, 38 to 31. But since then, here are the scores for the Big Ten championship game: 45, 24, 34, 21, 22, 10, 42, 3, 43, 22, 26, nothing. Yeah, the fact that it was only twenty six nothing was closer than I think most of us. But expected. I mean, for Iowa, but by I, you factor in that it's Iowa, it, it may as well have been one hundred and twenty six to nothing. Like that's an insurmountable <laughs> deficit for Iowa. A touchdown's an insurmountable yeah, deficit. I mean, for seriously, Iowa. but um, it's a it's a, it's an interesting point because you bring up okay, well, if we had it this year, it was going to be Michigan and Ohio State. I I I understand that it's it's a repetitive, but it's a much better matchup than what we've gotten in recent years uh, in the Big Ten Championship game. And the fact that Ohio State and Michigan, one of those two, have won it every year since 2017. Isn't that crazy? I mean, not necess- not really. I mean, if it's, yeah. I mean, when you look at it, the two power teams in yeah. the league. But, well, um, but like, I guess it's crazy in the sense that the, the Big 12, right, with Texas and Oklahoma, it was, it was never 
Texas well, and o- Oklahoma every year. It's just proof that the Big Ten is a top-heavy league with the top two teams. People mm-hmm. like to try to make a case for Penn State. You'd like them to be up there, but you can't because they can't beat a good team in the Big Ten. So Ohio State, Michigan, yeah, they've dominated the Big Ten, but when you're beating the likes of Wisconsin and Northwestern and Iowa and Purdue in the Big Ten championship game, that's not really anything to write home about. Here's my prediction. I'm not really going out on a limb here. I don't think it's Ohio State, Michigan in the Big Ten title game next year. Uh, I I don't think so. I hope not. But there is coming a time where Ohio State and Michigan are going to play back to back weeks. Yes, and we'll see how people react to that when it happens. I, you know, yes, there will come a time. I I don't think Michigan is. They've had a great three year run. I think Harbaugh goes to the NFL. Obviously, they're going to have ramifications from this whole scandal thing, I'm sure, down well, the road. Once they lose to Alabama in the semis. <laughs> you're, you're calling your yeah, shot already. already. calling that. <laughs> I mean, Michigan trying to take away a running quarterback. Yeah, good luck, because they don't, they don't play any, right? I haven't so, played anyone. Really? Yeah, that's true. But um, eventually that time is coming. We'll see how people react to it. Um. You're never going to get that game moved off the final weekend of the regular season. Thanksgiving weekends is not going to happen. So we're going to have to reserve ourselves to the fact that at some point, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play back-to-back weeks. 46862 again is how you reach us on the text line. 46862. If you're a Purdue or IU fan, very mixed bag in the Big Ten openers in men's basketball on Friday night. We'll break it down next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Uh, this winter weather is not going to steal my shun- sunshine, Justin. Well, that's good. Len is hoping that you do not allow it. A, uh, a one-hit wonder, right? Yes, it was. I had the album. I probably still have the album somewhere. This come out in 99, 2001? I think it was 99. 99? Or 2000. Yeah. One and done for Len. <laughs> one and done for Purdue at number one. Wow. What a, what, a, what a segue. One and, one and done for the Boilers Friday night. Oof. Not not good. And it was more defensively, I thought, for mm-hmm. Purdue. Is people say, well, see, offensively they can't do anything with if Zach blah, blah, blah. I just thought when they needed to get stops, they were unable to get it. And that was credit to Northwestern. I know the the IU fans and Purdue haters jumped right on it. I, I guess I don't change my opinion on Purdue based on a road loss in December in the Big Ten. No, no, I'm not either. Like, you lose on the road in the Big Ten against a quality opponent, and Northwestern is a quality opponent. Now, I thought going in, I get, I'm get i the same guy who said Friday, oh, Purdue should have no problem. Me Northwestern too. hadn't had a tough schedule. They hadn't, you know. But look, it's a home game. It's their game. Purdue's going to be the game of the year on, on the road for all these Big Ten teams, right? Yes. Outside of, you know, your, your, well, even for Michigan State, who has, has lofty expectations. That'll I mean, it's, it's a great Still point. be their game of the year. The, every place they go in the Big Ten is going to be a full house with the students engaged and locked in outside of around Christmas, obviously, when they're gone. But every, every road game they go to is the biggest or one of the top three games at home all season long for that team. And that was Northwestern on Friday night. And the the fans were engaged. The, 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 the students were into it. It was a back-and-forth game. Uh, you felt, I mean, Purdue had a double-digit lead in the first half. They were up by as many as, what, 11, I want to say, at one point. And yet Northwestern came in. It was a back-and-forth game in, in the second half. 
I just felt this was more a game that I looked at the defense and said, well, things got to shore up for Purdue defensively on the perimeter, especially uh, other than the offense. Boo Booey. Boo Booey was outstanding. Was 31 points, fifth year guy. Again, this is a guy who just takes down Purdue. That's what he does. Uh, he's been excellent. Ty Berry had seven points in OT at 21. Ryan Langborg uh, added 20 for Northwestern. And, and again, they're the seventh program since 2010, 2011 to beat a team ranked number one in the AP poll in consecutive seasons. Obviously, they beat Purdue uh, last season back in February. Zach Eady. 35 and 14. I, I think the thing that I noticed to me late in this game was just like some bad shot selection from Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. Lance Jones just like hoisting threes. Well, early Lance Jones needs clocks. to learn pretty quickly. If he's going to be a dude in the rotation and clutch moments late in the season, he needs to stop doing that. Yeah. And I noticed that it, not just once, but I think two or three times it, late in the game. In regulation and also in overtime, like you, you got to get a better look than that. And he's a veteran guy, like that. He shouldn't be playing like that. Miles Colvin in there, chucking like that, okay. But Lance Jones shouldn't be doing that. He's a senior, so it's a. I don't know how often you out rebounded Northwestern by twenty five and lost the game fifty two to twenty seven. Uh, but Northwestern was just on, man. I mean, especially late in the second half. And in overtime, you felt like once Purdue was able to tie it and get into overtime, you're like, all right, here we go. But Northwestern, credit to them. They continued, thought they had it wrapped up in regulation, didn't, but then buried Purdue in the overtime. So does it change my opinion of North of Purdue long-term? No, it doesn't, because the Big Ten is difficult on the road. But but again, there there's no reason to panic. And I get everyone's going to say, well, it's the same old Purdue team. No, I'm not going to panic at this loss if if Purdue loses tonight at home to Iowa, yeah, then I'd probably panic a little bit yeah. if I'm a Purdue fan because that that's a game you, you got to have. And and tonight, if Purdue comes out, plays well, takes care of business, move forward. Yeah, they're not going to be ranked number one when the, when the polls come out today. That's fine. But yeah. they're not the only team to kind of have a bit of a Maui layoff. Uh, Marquette lost to Wisconsin uh, in that rivalry Saturday. matchup on Saturday. So... I mean, we, we saw this happen, and I'm not blaming going to Maui and all that. It was just, this is college basketball. It's early in the year. It's either tough non-conference games or your your opening conference games. This is not a concern. Not yet, but you have Iowa coming up tonight. You have Alabama. You have Arizona all within the next week and a half. So short memory if you're Purdue. And probably not going to be number one versus number two in Purdue and Arizona play. Unfortunate. Not likely. Not likely. Meanwhile, for Indiana, uh, it was a, a good debut. Now, was it a good Maryland team? Is it a good Maryland team? Absolutely not. But I don't think I use a very good team no. either. So no. it was an impressive win. I think for the Hoosiers, they took care of business. No Xavier Johnson. He was held out of the lineup. Gabe Cubs isn't going to do anything for you offensively, but I thought Trey Galloway stepped up, played really well, uh, closed well for Indiana. They started fast in this one. They're up 16-4. to four. At one point, McKenzie and Baca with another solid performance in double figures. Uh, Khalil Ware, I mean, th- this is a guy who, again, I keep harping on this, but all the question marks were effort and he's talented, but you know, can he put it all together? So far, he has. And if he keeps playing at this kind of level where he's a double-double machine, 
IU can do some damage in the Big Ten. 18 and 14, you had Mackenzie Mbaco, an, another really solid game, 13 points, three assists, seven rebounds. It, it was a, a, a dominant performance. They were up by as many as, gosh, what was it, 18, 17 at some point, 17, 18 points. Uh, Maryland made a run and, and made a little bit uh, tight there late uh, if they could continue making shots, but two of 16 from three, Maryland struggle from three. IU, of course, we know, just doesn't shoot threes. <laughs> three of nine. Um, and um, struggle to the free throw line again, but Hoosiers get a win. We, we said it on Friday. If if These are the games that IU has to win to factor into the Big Ten in some capacity. At home against a team that they're better than. And there aren't going to be very many teams in the Big Ten, at least right now, that you can say IU is better than. Clear cut, better than. So they need to make sure they win those games, particularly at home, and they were able to do it. Uh, it will be another test tomorrow at Michigan. We'll see how that goes. That's a Peacock-only game, by the way. Yes, so, so prepare, prepare yourself. Yes, prepare yourselves <laughs> accordingly. Peacock-only game coming up tomorrow night. Not so IU checks box number one of this critical four-game stretch before you get into you know the the buy games around Christmas time, and then the heart of the Big Ten schedule starting January third for Indiana at Nebraska. But you you beat Maryland by double digits at Michigan coming up tomorrow night. Then you have Auburn on Saturday in the game played in Atlanta, and then you host Kansas December sixteenth. So you check that first box. If if Indiana can go two and two or three and one, I think you feel pretty good moving forward. They they are off to a good start with that win over Maryland on Friday, but. Uh... As some textures have pointed out, and I even pointed out, who would have thought at any point during the season, IU would be first all alone in the Big Ten standings and Purdue would be last all alone because that's where it was Friday night heading into the weekend was IU was first and Purdue was last all by themselves. Never, never would have guessed that. (laughs) Here we are. Enjoy it while it lasts. I don't see it lasting very long. No, it is not going to last very long. Indeed. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Monday. A Florida man seeking a million VHS tapes of this movie. We'll get to that story next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Monday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Uh Final story of the day. And it is, of course, involving a Florida man. Go figure. Now, th- this is not course, some sorry. wild crime story. Nothing. Nothing but, like that. No rat invasion? Yeah, no no rat plague. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so that's, that's also quite good. No bears involved either. But a Florida man has amassed a collection of 2,467 copies of the film Titanic on VHS. Now, the double VHS? Ooh, that's a good point. Because that's what it was that that we had uh-huh. is the WVHS. Because you know, and, and I would always tease that it was just just start watching the second VHS. You can skip over the majority of the love story and just watch the <laughs> Titanic sink. Yeah, yes, um, one million. So how many copies do you have right now? Uh, just under twenty five hundred, two thousand four hundred. He wants to get to a million. Yeah, that's a long way to go, bub. Uh, it is. So <laughs> he is from uh, Largo. He's identified as JD or Titanic fan 97 on YouTube uh, said he scours thrift stores, flea markets and garage sales for VHS copies of the film. Social media followers have mailed him tapes from all over the world. Um, he told a, a TV station in Florida, you can't escape this movie. 
Everyone had it. Your grandma had it. Your mom, your dad, whoever. Someone in your family had this movie. Uh, he's aiming to gather one million copies and earn an unsinkable world record for the largest collection of Titanic VHS tapes. He said, I go to sleep thinking about Titanic and I wake up thinking about Titanic. This guy needs another hobby. Yeah, or a girlfriend right? or something. Uh, you can mail him your copy. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. P.O. Box 5355. Again, P.O. Box 5355. To Largo, Florida. Uh, zip code is 33779. Again, P.O. Box 5355. Largo, Florida. 33779. I had a copy, uh, but I think I donated it. You should have donated that. Yeah, I, I think I sent it to like a, a thrift store or something. But, but yes, like I, I think I got a, a copy from like a it was like a prize of a, a '90s party, and I won the <laughs> trivia. Um, Titanic, and I won the '90s trivia, so uh, I got a copy of the Titanic. So again, Every- these copies are everywhere. Everybody has goals in their lives. Some, uh, obviously, uh, bigger than others. This is this guy's <laughs> yeah. life goal, apparently. <laughs> life goal to get a million Titanic What's the VHS. current record? And what's that person's story? Right? Right? I, I, I don't know. know. That's another interesting question. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> Everybody's got some quirk. I guess this is this guy's. I, I, I think in this social media era where everyone, you know, you can find some weird quirk thing and then get a world record that's what it's about now apparently uh, apparently oh whatever more power to him yeah so again make sure you mail your vhs not dvd vhs copies of titanic <laughs> uh to that largo man in florida that wraps it up for us today for justin kinney i am caleb hatch dan patrick show up next the herd will call and coward coming up at noon Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. The Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. And don't forget, Purdue basketball coming up tonight. Pre-game at 6, tip at 7, Purdue, Iowa. Right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.